Okay, so I mean, do you want to start it from uh, uh, intelligence or? Uh... I can, I can. So basically, um, when we talk about the intelligence, it's the generic form of the mental ability in order to uh, reason, solve problem and understand problems. And more specifically, how we are managing to the solution. So basically the process um, through which we manage to get to the solution. But obviously my main field of expertise is artificial intelligence and swarm intelligence. So the way that we get closer to these concepts is by trying to see what is the artificial one, what is the natural one, and how we can correlate between the, between the two. Yes. So that is the that is the main area where I would be interested in. So we read some of the philosophical definition of intelligence, of creativity, of collective intelligence that has resulted in the swarm intelligence. And then we try to tailor it for our own needs, which is mostly mathematical. Uh, but the base is uh, rooted in these concepts. So this one, I would maybe ask you questions about just basic things maybe because this one would be a little harder for me to catch on to so what is the difference between artificial intelligence and swarm intelligence or are they interchangeable so artificial intelligence and swarm intelligence uh, there are two concepts swarm intelligence is one of the subcategories of artificial intelligence in artificial intelligence, we are not necessarily talking about a population of agents. In swarm intelligence, we always talk about a population. So whenever we have a large number of uh, population that would be interacting with one another, communicating information, this would be classified as swarm intelligence. Now I'm uh, speaking not technically and very loosely speaking just to make it uh, just to make myself clear so basically things that have to do with population and with the flow of information between the population would be within the realm of swarm intelligence okay so if there's if these are the two different type of uh categories then is the swarm intelligence completely based on biological phenomenon or are they more driven from developing ai i mean how how did we go to this form of intelligence right so as i said swarm intelligence is a category within the broader uh, topic of artificial intelligence and swarm intelligence is inspired by nature is inspired by biology by uh, biochemistry so this is where it gets its inspiration from now what we do with that after observing the nature or getting the information from uh, biologists from people who are studying insects animals and social form of behavior we try to mathematically model that mm -hmm. so once we mathematically model that then we apply it to real world problem now, these problems range uh, from uh, the theoretical problem at, in chemistry and physics, and they go to the practical problem in medicines and all the rest of it. But basically what we do, we get the inspiration and then we mathematically model them and then we apply them to various problem within uh, um, after modifying our understanding 
from what uh, we have been receiving the, uh, receiving the inspiration from so if if i vis- if i try to visualize it intelligence would be some sort of um, information um, transferring from one object to another and that must have a mathematical model and that is how it's based on and that is how it evolves and then swarm intelligence which we see in a lot of biological organisms which could be uh, flies and ants which is the most obvious example they have evolved this kind of intelligence as an organism and that has a mathematical mathematological uh, formula and then that's what you you are developing and researching and then using it to solve other problems in our human world or other interactions we yeah have. exactly so in a way uh, after uh, observing uh, uh, what is happening in nature we try to model that to solve our problem now when we observe we do not mimic exactly the behavior of the insects animals uh, social animals we do not try to do an exact mimicking of their behavior because first of all we are not capable of understanding everything that they do so we try to simplify what is happening there in a way that uh, they can be coded uh, and written down as algorithms and programs so it's a very simplified version of what can be seen in nature so basically it's a stripped down uh, behavior of social animals turned into computer programs and algorithms and then applied to existing problems that we try to solve and we find difficulty solving with other uh, methods okay so the complexity of their behavior of course and then because we are not that organism so if i if i understand it better um we try to take whatever model we can and what we understand so we can actually apply it solve other problems but we don't really understand exactly what is going on would that mean that uh, this kind of swarm intelligence are existed in different kind of species which are considered to be like a whole one organism like you th- the relationship between individual and overall species is much closer than as compared to humans or other species which are a bit further away from each other i mean is there what is the distinction between these two different kind of intelligences or species right so it's it's a very good it's a very good uh, question when we get to the uh, to the human uh, beings we are very complex uh, animals we are very difficult to formulate and we're very difficult to predict so usually if we want to talk about the swarm behavior in human beings it would be easier to um, look at when we are trying to leave the tube stations if we don't look at the exit sign we just follow the swarm where is the exit door without looking so basically we just see what is happening around us we try to adjust uh, our direction we try to adjust yeah. our speed and we try to stay with the center of the crowd in order to get to our objective point which is exiting the metro station the underground or the or the tube but uh, given the complexity of the human nature we do not try to Uh, or we, we cannot understand the swarm behavior 
in human beings. We might use some social metaphors where humans are there in order to understand <coughs> swarm intelligence, which I can um, uh, explain one algorithm which is based on uh, the behavior of ants. But we use a social metaphor, which is based on human beings, in order to understand the concept of swarm intelligence and how it works. But basically, given the complexity of the human beings, we try to avoid that. Just look at the social insects, social animals. It could be ants, could be bees, could be flies. So any form of um, social interaction in social animals would be the area of interest or would be the area of inspiration for the development of the swarm intelligence algorithms. Okay, this is... Uh, so what I actually understood before what you just explained me right now, I just had this uh, um, idea about... So I think I've heard this mathematician, I don't, I don't remember the name, but they were explaining that so this they were categorizing these two different kind of intelligence. I think I understand it better now what you have just explained because we can calculate some form of swarm intelligence and then we can kind of use it. That is the reason why it's categorized differently that okay human intelligence and their swarm behavior is a bit it's very different than swarm because we we can't we don't understand like all six how many billion people we are, like what that intelligence is doing or how is it? Um... They are very different. Yeah, they are in principle very, very different. And it's difficult to come up with a homogeneous mm -hmm. concept that uh, describe what would be the, the swarm intelligence equivalent in human being. But when you look at the animals, for example, one of the basic uh, rules that determined the behavior of uh, swarms in certain algorithm, if you look at the, the beautifully choreographed uh, behavior of birds flocking or fish schooling or ant foraging, uh, the, the simple form and the simple rule that determine, for example, the birds flocking is... Uh, the adjustment of the speed when the when the birds are in the sky. So they try to adjust the speed. So not one is so we don't have one bird that is going faster, one bird that is going slower. So the so the matching of the speed, and the other one is collision avoidance. So they try to um, avoid colliding into one another. That's another rule that they have to adhere to, or we observe that they are adhering to. Mm. And the other one is the keeping of the center. So basically, they would be within the, a similar range of area. So that's why we see them in a, in a certain region within the sky. So they are not dispersed com completely. So by looking at the, the flock of birds, for example, and by generating these three rules, basic rules, people have been able to model that behavior write down a program and then try to create simple animations that mm -hmm. would be realistic enough to make people think that, okay, we are, we have managed to create something so that would make it much easier for, for example, people who are into animation instead of drawing the, uh, the flock of birds from one frame to the second, a very tedious job, run the algorithm and then they would be able to create the behavior of the birds flocking in the sky in a much easier way and with less work. Okay, that's fascinating. So is that 
how they use uh, these techniques and algorithms in films and animations these days in the industry is that so they use yes they, they use these algorithms and the three main rules that i have mentioned um, velocity matching uh, keeping to the center yeah. and collision avoidance are the three basic ones and of course you add more to that uh, depending on what you try to generate but yes they are they are quite used oh brilliant so so yeah this is a so it is it's fascinating in a way that we are using um an evolutionary formula to actually express beauty and art in our cutting edge cinema through these mathematical uh, formulas and uh, would when there's a formula is i don't think there's a leader in that or or there is a leader i mean because always you know you hear people saying oh yeah you know the birds follow each other and there's no leader and it's, it's just interchangeable is that is that really how it is well with with swarm intelligence one of the thing that uh, the swarm intelligence uh, community takes pride in is that it doesn't rely on a on a single leader so at every moment in time you could have one member of the population who would be leading the others but in an ideal scenario you would not have a leader so it is a, a leaderless uh, mechanism which would through the interaction through the communication that they have they would result in the emergence of intelligence so it's just the collective behavior which is leaderless and that's one of the that's one of the most fascinating parts about, about the about the swarm um so yes uh, yeah. in a way you don't have a leader Mm. ideally following the 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 principle in swarm intelligence mm -hmm. uh and when it comes to certain applications what would be interesting is that sometimes you introduce the concept of the leader to solve certain problem okay but you would not use the leader when you don't have to okay. or when you can avoid it because that would allow you to have a resilient program um so that you would not rely on a single individual so in a way it's a very democratic community where you don't have a leader but it relies on the intelligence of the community not an individual within the population definitely swarm intelligence have a uh, lack of ego at least exactly <laughs> there is no like... ego you can't claim to be the leader from the very beginning to yeah. the end if even if you are a member within the swarm that uh, has got the best solution you will be leader at that point in time but when the other members of the population they're trying to get close to you if along the way they find a better solution they will become the leader so there is no there is no ego so yeah. people can change very happily without uh, without causing the without causing the whole ecosystem of the swarm to to collapse that's straight 10 like <laughs> with human intelligence or uh, swarm intelligence they definitely have this one point up absolutely i mean i think this is uh, there's a guy called steven kotler and they are doing a lot of research on flow states and uh, i'm reading in the book that seal 16 and there is a lot of implication but seal 16 in america and other athletes who are performing at the top of their fields and who spend millions and millions of dollars to train these people is actually what they're trying to do is to try to teach them how they can operate towards 
a single objective which is loosely based and they should be able to interchangeably change their um, positions and that's how they go into the flow state that's how they call it so uh, whoever is the expert at that point at that corner takes the leadership and the, of course that they are in that dance how, how we explain that so I, I think that training humans to be in a flow state uh, is something looks like a swarm intelligence training towards that is uh, well there are similarity for sure there are there are there are some similarities in the in the example that that you have given obviously um, as i said um, trying to mimic and understand human behavior is very difficult so we we try to avoid getting there there are a lot of uh, a, a lot of <laughs> issues that would get along the way in terms of the in terms of the understanding and also as i said in swarm intelligence the key point is that you do not have a leader at all now in some swarm intelligence algorithm you would have to introduce the concept of the leader purely for the purpose of uh, generating the solution um, in many cases you do not have the concept of the leader you just have the individuals and the individuals communicate with one another and um, in many cases they do not know who is the leader they just see their neighbors so they just communicate with the neighbor one by one and then through the miraculous power of the millions of interaction the intelligence as they call it emerges through these interaction so are they i mean you have studied them for long i guess are they somehow one organism is that how you feel or that's that's what it looks like are they more like our cells which conspire and then form us and then we are this one being and then we have millions of bacteria and cells and then then we form muscles is that how are they more close to being that organism they are certainly a community mm -hmm. so they are part of one community and they have a goal and in order to achieve that goal they have a collective uh, endeavor in order to get to that goal so the idea of being a population is very important and the idea of following that um, shared goal is quite key to their mm. to their behavior okay so <clears throat> I, I mean i've heard that if like aunts sometimes if you fall at a wrong place in a wrong side they would swarm onto you literally I and mean, that's why maybe they are called so i mean uh, they eat elephants sometimes like this uh, I mean, because of this one goal, I mean, they interact very differently as as compared to how we consider to be one goal. I mean, so that's how they that's why they are, I think, more effective to solve that one specific problem where they are. Well, there are there is a, a clear distinction between the the basic behavior of the members of the swarm and the instinct that uh, some insects would be having. So in a way modeling that uh, instinct in order to solve a problem might be slightly more difficult than modeling their sheer behavior in terms of ants foraging in order to find a food source. So what would be their uh, behavior there? Now adding another layer of complexity, which is the, the presence of threat 
could be quite interesting. So there are some algorithms where you would have the interaction between the swarms, and then there will be millions of interactions, uh, which would lead to the solution, to the optimal solution. But every now and then, you introduce the concept of a threat. So by threatening the community of the swarm, you try to disperse them, or you try to disperse some of them. And in this process, if there is a better solution, now they would converge into the better solution. Mm. But without that threat, they would not be able to find the optimal solution. So the idea of the threat, mm. the idea of taking the taking a different turn is quite crucial. And um, well, in a way, to quote uh, Aristotle in one of in in one of his famous quotes, he would say. Um, there was never a genius without a tincture of madness. So in a way, we can assimilate that threat that would disperse mm. part of the swarm towards a place where they haven't thought to have some useful solution, some promising uh, area. They are sent there, um, not following their will. And out of the sudden, they manage to find a solution that is better than their own, or they, they might find a place that has more food source than what they have already found. So there are always the concept of mistakes and randomness in nature is quite present. Mm. So without taking a random uh, turn, sometimes we would not be able to uh, achieve what we would like to have. And this is something that is happening even at the genetic level. And obviously, when we talk about genes, again, and when we talk about genes in the in the genes and chromosomes within the realm of swarm intelligence and evolutionary computation, which is uh, which is uh, an area closely related to swarm intelligence, we always believe that there has to be a mistake happening. There has to be an element where it should be displaced so that we would explore other areas. So, for example, with genetic algorithm, which is an evolutionary based algorithm we have few phases uh, and one of the phases is the mutation phase so the mutation allows for the evolution to happen to explore that uncharted territory now if we go to a territory that is not a suitable area it's likely that that would be a dead end but if it comes to a place where there are some uh, interesting uh, zone to be explored then there is a, a leap in the in the evolution so that that's that's of course that's fascinating i mean so our so is this swarm intelligence have been primed for certain behaviors but it also have been evolved to have certain flexibility that if an unknown n number or threat or some sort of uh, problem has been introduced they would have a certain capacity to come up with a different formation to solve it. And through that, we actually can observe this kind of new solution. So th this seems like a very evolved system, which is uh, primed according to the environment it's being in. So it's it's it can recalibrate itself. I mean... Well, in, in, in a way, we can claim that the, the intelligence of the swarm in nature is uh, much more collectively evolved than that of the, the human being. They have been around much longer than uh, our, our species has been around. So we can say that the evolution in the a swarm has been for 
has been around for much longer than than we have been. So it has been evolving. And one of the fascinating things about the um, swarm intelligence, the algorithms and the the, the actual existing living uh, being is that they are very tolerant towards noise. So so we call it noise if you are a computer scientist, but it could be threat. It could be unpredictable presence of something that is not, uh, th th that wasn't expected. So they are very tolerant towards that noise. They try to self-organize again and they try to move on towards the objective that they have. So this is one of the this is one of the interesting features of the swarm that they are tolerant towards these uh, obstacles towards these noise that is thrown at them. Okay, I'm I'm going to use a movie metaphor. <laughs> okay, <laughs> because swarm intelligence has been explored as in as a, as a philosophy. Um, so there's an alien attack, and usually it is a swarm intelligence. Um, there's a movie called Ender's Game, which is a book. Which I haven't read a book, but I've seen a movie, uh, and uh, there's a there's a planet which on which ants have evolved. So it's it's a brilliant book because I've read certain parts of it. But in the movie, they have just shown initially that how they coordinate with each other and how their attacks are way better than humans because of course they have evolved. They have warships and they attack as they are ants and then there is another tom cruise film which is i think day after no future something like future uh, forgot the name and in that we have an attack on on our planet earth and again same thing but that swarm is more based on queen there's a leader but then there's a swarm and then i think there are two or three leaderships and I think that's the concept which I've always explored that how hard it is to beat something which is acting a whole species together and communicate instantly with each other and then formulate a method to defeat which environment that swarm intelligence is. So someone has done their research because it does look like that it is an accurate uh, representation but what i'm trying to ask you is if these algorithms have been evolved um so accurately and for such a huge time definitely they are more resilient to certain changes and they can actually solve uh, more problems which maybe even that's why we are taking help from that intelligent and that's why we are i mean we are part of that intelligence of course wouldn't that actually can go against because once in long term the environment is changing if something is so resilient which can keep you know a, a species alive for so long it can at some point turn against it because when you actually have to be really pl plastic to and leave that uh, kind of intelligence in some way but you couldn't so is that why species die out? Because they have a very specific form of intelligence which actually allow them to survive and they are very strong. And then the environment is changing, but that's what kept them alive, becomes their demise. That's a that's an interesting question. I'm, I'm, unfortunately, I don't think I'm, I'm well qualified to <laughs> to answer to answer this question. But uh, talking about the resilience of the swarm and their ability to solve 
different problems and the and the difficulty of dealing with them in the scenarios that <laughs> that you have been describing in in films and and other uh, and other uh, visual scenarios i can i can uh, perhaps take you back to the comparison between swarm intelligence algorithm and other algorithms and what what can be said is that every one of these algorithms are suitable for uh, their own uh, purpose so we cannot have one approach that would deal with all the problems so there are areas where swarm intelligence can be applied very nicely and there are um, other areas where swarm intelligence would fail miserably so so it depends which area we look at and obviously there are some fascinating areas where swarm intelligence can be can perform uh, significantly better than many of uh, many of their uh, counterparts in other fields but it would be interesting to understand where they would be useful so that one would apply them to those certain areas and uh, uh, this understanding would be key um, in science and in their in their application because they cannot be adapted to solve all all sorts of problems so what where are these applications at the moment i mean where are we using it are are you working on some of the applications i mean when we talked about film there is there any other ones so usually the applications of swarm intelligence are the ones where you have um tens, hundreds, millions of uh, parameters. Imagine parameters as um, some sliders. Imagine yourself to be in a control room and you have to adjust uh, 100 sliders in order to get the best quality, let's say, uh, sound or the best quality picture or the best quality something that you are interested and you have an enormous amount of combination in these 100 sliders in order to get the best solution. It would be very difficult for us to do that. Um, so th th this is a situation where we would be using swarm intelligence. Now, if you have 100 sliders, that's okay. You might It might take you uh, a, a month or two to find out the <laughs> optimal um, area. Now, imagine if you have few millions sliders in order to get the right solution. Every one of them play a role mm -hmm. in the final outcome. So the only thing that you need to know is that you need to have a function. We call it the fitness function or the objective function where they would take the value on each one of these sliders and then they would be able to tell you how good your solution is. So if you have that uh, magical formula to tell you, give me your uh, 10 million slider values and then i'll tell you how good your solution is oh. if we have that equation then we can uh, throw the swarms and use the swarm intelligence technique in order to come up with a uh, with a good solution and and w what are the fields where this solution has worked where you have where there are potential for further exploration or is there already been something going on in the industry or in research i mean there have been many areas where they have been uh, applied successfully they have been applied in uh, medical imaging quite successfully currently we're working on a project on tomographic reconstruction which is a field within the nuclear imaging again that's an area that is quite uh, interesting we're dealing with enormous amount of data 
and it's very difficult to come up with a with a solution using the other algorithms the other algorithms are trying to find some solutions we're trying to improve on that by using a smaller amount of data so that we can uh, use the abilities of the swarms they have been applied to um, various other fields including robotics including weather forecasting uh, scheduling of railways and flights so there are so there are various uh, applications in the real world because if you imagine if you try to convert your problem into the slider metaphor that i was that i was yes. giving you then you can apply swarm intelligence and a large number a no fully large number of problems can be converted into this uh, scenario where you have these parameters that need someone to adjust them but we don't have enough time hmm. so we will use swarm intelligence in order to communicate and use this uh, magical power of sheer communication in order to come up with a solution that is better than a random solution and is closer to the optimal solution. I think I understand uh, <laughs> I mean, how it could be, uh, you know, implemented in different things, especially as you just explained about the planes. And I was also reading one of the papers which you did in, uh, when you were trying to improve the ICU false alarms through the so so th yes i mean if there are so many patients and then or if there are so many flights where there's a speed problem there's a weather they have to take off there's a distance and there i don't know how many thousands thousands of flights are there at one time exactly now. exactly so so it can be quite complex so the so the work that you refer to on the icu uh, detecting false alarm so basically the purpose of that paper was to reduce the number of false alarms so that patients who are uh, in the hospital are not disturbed unnecessarily um, because of the false alarm and uh, so that they wouldn't have to go through the stress, the enormous stress of having the, the doctors, the consultants and the, and the nurses around them checking if something has gone wrong. So to avoid that, we have used an algorithm which is called dispersive flies optimization and what it does, it tries to train an artificial neural network with thousands of parameters, so thousands of sliders, so that we will get the data, adjust the parameters of the artificial neural network so that this uh, system, this computational system, would be able to reduce the number of false alarm. So if we visualize it, how you just explained it, if let's say if there are 100 patients and all of those patients have different level of emergency or sensitivity towards um, heart attacks or lungs disease uh, generally i think what uh, our industry or our what mechanism is that the sensitivity levels are pretty high just to avoid the risk of not having a alarm so Generally, you have a lot of false alarm just so that, you know, just so that he, someone can r rush in and check. That's exactly why everyone is annoyed because of the fire alarms yes. and that they are like, oh, my goodness, just a little bit of smoke because the opportunity cost of not having the fire alarm is so high. Now, exactly. you are trying to intervene in the middle of that logic and try to make that accuracy 
even better so that the margin of error actually goes down but the accuracy goes up and that that's that's a very hard problem to solve exactly so it's a, it's a very sensitive uh, it's a very sensitive application and um, all that scientists are trying to do is to deal with that margin of error and try to narrow it down as much as possible without compromising the the care that uh, patients are receiving so it would be it would be a very sensitive area and um, and that's why different people look at it from different perspective and from my perspective we would be looking at it uh, by applying swarm intelligence in order to see if we can compete with the other uh, approaches and methodologies to deal with this particular problem. Yeah. Um, so if you are using algorithms and you are training the deep neural network to actually understand that how the values are and what should be considered normal so that somehow this dispersive flies intelligence system can calibrate and readjust the alarm systems as if like, let's imagine like flies are flying on the top of um, that, that might not be a good visualization <laughs> for it, on the top of patients. <laughs> but just for an example, so let's say if there are 100 rooms and there are flies all around it and they carry like a little detector. <laughs> so I'm just trying to bring it out in the physical world. And they are checking everything and they are flying and they are giving information to everyone. And that's how they can either increase the weight of uh, you know, ringing an alarm to one place and then from instantly to the other uh, part of their community that, okay, now this is, this is okay, this is fine, you, there's, that's pretty. And then that's going on in real time in those hundred rooms. So there's a network of intelligence which is being spread out through this algorithm to prime, to somehow prime this, uh, to prime, uh, to solve this problem issue or somehow avoid it right so uh, it's it's a very technical problem and um, you have put it nicely i'm gonna elaborate on it i i i i might fail miserably but i'm gonna give it a try because as i said it's it's quite technical so we have a system which is a neural network an artificial neural network a deep neural network and neural networks they communicate with one another they transfer information from one layer to another and in each layer, we have several neurons of different types. So there are a lot of sliders that adjust the behavior of that neural network. Talking again about the using the metaphor yeah. of the slider. So there are hundreds, millions of sliders. Depending on the value of each one of the sliders, the behavior of the network changes. So basically, if we take the... There are several sensors and devices which are attached to the patients and they're transferring the signal. The job of the network is to take these uh, signals uh, from the patient and determine whether they need an intervention or not. So that is the job of the network. Now, this network in the beginning is doing a very bad job. You, it could, you could be sending the signal of a, uh, of a patient that doesn't need uh, any visit from a consultant and uh, you would receive the you would receive a different response or vice versa so the network in the beginning is not working fine and you have these hundreds thousands of sliders so the flies each one of the flies cont contains the values of these 
hundreds, thousands, millions of sliders. Okay. Now, some of these flies are better than the others in terms of the qualities of the sliders that they have. So the members of the swarm would would be attracted towards the a member that has a good solution of the slider. So they try to explore the area that is closer to that agent that has a good solution so far. Okay. So the one that is able to detect uh, patients who need some interventions mm. uh, r- rather than the others. So they try to get closer to that. And by getting closer, they explore the areas around it in order to improve the values on each one of the sliders. Mm so that the output would be more accurate. Okay. I'm not sure if I no, no, made no, no, myself no, no. clear. It does make sense. But, it uh, really makes sense, yeah. I mean, tr- yeah, it, it does make sense. It's, it's yeah, there's a layer of uh, new, deep neural network. I mean, this. please Google anyone who is looking at it. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll go into another uh, neural network explanations. And yeah, there are mo- sliders, and then each slider is going into. I think you have explained it. Yeah, it does make sense. I mean, I, I can't I can't repeat this. Okay. But yeah, <laughs> it, it's yeah lack of ego and being honest. And whoever has a better solution, you should be you know uh, submitting to that. Is that's yeah that that does seems like a good good solution. Uh, I I'm artificial intelligence something which is very close to what I want to explore in future, but from social side, not from the technical or mathematical side. Uh, But always, um, I did have that doubt inside of me because there's been a lot of uh, philosophers, there's a lot of mathematicians and researchers like you, how you are researching, that maybe artificial intelligence would never become anything like gen- general artificial intelligence or something even close to that. And even DeepMind, which is uh, Google DeepMind, which was a DeepMind and then Google acquired it and how uh, to learn how it actually beat the Go, uh, which is a game, very old game, more complex, I think, than um, chess. Still, I was... Uh, bit skeptical and I still had a doubt deep down inside of me like I, I, I don't know if, if it could actually convert it's all even if we train uh, these artificial intelligence through different data set or if we do how you have done the neuro, deep, uh, deep mind or deep neural network where you allow them to access data and then form their own learning patterns would ever convert into something really evolutionarily uh, advanced how we, but after having this conversation and after realizing that how we are taking millions of years of evolution and those swarm intelligence and then trying to create these kind of neural network systems which already exist in the universe and we are now trying to condense it through our own intelligence and consciousness and trying to build up on it and immersing it with other technologies, I do feel like that it is going somewhere where it could actually evolve into a completely different species, to be very honest. I mean, this is always a word which is hard to use with AI because you don't know if it would actually happen. Is it a gimmick or is it just, you know, people just talking about it? But Right, so so there are 
It's a very interesting philosophical debate that has been around ever since artificial intelligence started to uh, appear, even at the theoretical level. There are two schools of thought. One group would believe that artificial intelligence would at some point manage to exceed the intelligence or reach the intelligence of human being. And there are groups that would say it's a, it's a very unlikely scenario to happen. And for that, uh, the definition of artificial intelligence would be very crucial to pinpoint here. And the, the, because of this conflict between these two schools of thought, we have two definitions for artificial intelligence. One is the strong artificial intelligence, and the other one is the weak artificial intelligence. And in order to talk about these two concepts very briefly, I would encourage uh, perhaps the, the listeners to uh, check out the Chinese Room argument, which was um, proposed by an American philosopher, John Searle, where uh, I'm going to explain it very briefly, and then uh, I'm sure there are a lot of resources that uh, people can explore. Basically, John Searle imagines himself to be inside a room, and he doesn't understand Chinese at all. But he is there inside the room and he's trying to answer and respond to some Chinese characters that are slipped from under the door. He would take these characters and numbers and then he would run his uh, program. He would manipulate the characters and then using this program, he then again um, slide the respond outside the room to the Chinese people who are outside. And the whole idea is that he would like to fool the native speakers that he is understanding their question, replying to them. And people who are outside, they are convinced that, yes, the, the person who is inside the room is Chinese. And then he argues that he doesn't have any understanding of Chinese language. Despite uh, that, people who are outside believe that that uh, person inside would understand Chinese. So there is, there is a difference between the manipulation of symbols in order to get to the solution and the genuine understanding that yeah. exists. So this is, a, th th this is one of the... Uh, a huge problem and there are many the, the, the debate on the Chinese room argument is continuing it is not it is not yet settled many people have different arguments saying well maybe we are the system if we are the system as being inside the room then the whole system would understand and there are responses to that and so there are uh, several um, questions and answers with the philosopher uh, <coughs> some objections that they have sent him and the, rep and the re replies that he has given. So it's a still, an still an ongoing problem. And so without that genuine understanding, this keyword of genuine understanding, mm. you'll find it in the literature of artificial intelligence quite a bit. These computers might not have the genuine understanding. They might give you the answer, mm. but they don't understand. Yeah. They don't have the genuine understanding. They produce the appearance that they have the understanding but do they have the real understanding and there is another uh, um, 
important factor in the in the strong notion of artificial intelligence that if it's only simple manipulation then it would be far from the, the strong artificial intelligence it should get onto the biological level and there are several criterias that people take into account in order to define the presence artificial of uh, the, the presence of artificial intelligence so it's these two schools of thought are still debating and they're debate, uh, debating very hard and it's very um, difficult to say and see which group are winning the argument even so is is this also something like turing test or there's a difference between this one and turing test right so the turing test is is very interesting there is a link between the the chinese room argument which was by um, the american uh, philosopher john searle and the turing test which was inspired from the imitation game and um in a way the turing test would try to see if there is intelligence but people would argue that this would fall on the weak artificial intelligence so alan turing the, the uh, pioneer british um, uh, computer scientist he proposed this idea in order to see if a chatbot could manage to fool a human judge and obviously the scenario is is uh, quite interesting there are some details about uh, the judges and about the number of people so there are a number of human who would be replying to the uh, to the judge and there is a chatbot and the whole idea is that the human judge would be fooled into thinking that the chatbot is a human but again we would fall within that category of is there a genuine understanding or is there just the manipulation of symbols producing a response without understanding let's say again in quotation a word of chinese so in the end we are talking about a subjective experience if like lights are on or off inside an artificial intelligence i mean is it something to be an artificial intelligence and uh, is there a subjective experience they are having where they can have genuine misery or pleasure hence somehow or whatever their way of understanding it is because we are i, I always think of this example as um, as if like there is a there are islands and uh, we are separated by a sea and until you have not been to that island it's very hard to articulate that what would it look like because it's just an alien island it's it, it might not be even an island so we don't know how that subjective experience of an artificial intelligence which is an advanced evolved if there is something like that uh would it be motivated by misery or would it even understand or would it even require the concept of uh, emotions which is very much based on our evolutionary biological traits so so we we weak weak artificial intelligence would be something which is intelligent as in it could solve the problems it could communicate faster maybe than our neurons in our brain but it doesn't it doesn't mean anything to be that it's it's a, it's a, it's a it doesn't mean that it would have a genuine understanding so a gen by genuine understanding maybe i can give this uh example imagine that uh um, a group of people are in the in the in the room and they they um, they say a joke which is an adult joke and everybody is laughing and there is a child who is sitting there and the child laughs without understanding so 
the laughter of the adults maybe they they have they have that genuine feeling and which is lacking in the in the child because there is no genuine understanding but they are replicating mm. what they think should be should be done and it might not be able to we might not be able to distinguish whether it's a genuine understanding or not but so the the understand the, the concept of genuine understanding is a very important notion when we want to define the strong artificial intelligence which goes beyond only artificial intelligence it goes also to the area of creativity which is a notion that we have been proposing where we have a strong notion of creativity and the weak notions of creativity so it is it is an interesting debate which is happening at the philosophical level um but in the real world scientists are making breakthroughs and mm. and discoveries irrespective of whether the intelligence is strong or weak yeah um but the important thing is that with the progress of science it is definitely useful for the human being i mean if if we are if we are smart enough and we are progressing and collaborating and using these mathematical algorithms and what it looks like that through math we have discovered a lot of objective reality which has no connection with our five senses i mean it's it's a, that's how we bridge the gap between we as a human species evolved on this one planet and then we are figuring out certain things we develop test and we find it if that is one of the methods of translating how universe and our existence is connected and that is the method which we are using to develop an intelligence there is a genuine possibility that something which could actually feel or understand or maybe have an empathy let's 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 consider i mean maybe creativity has an important aspect of empathy i mean you you can you feel and then you transcend something and that's you create an abstraction of of uh, of some sort of a reality which is translating a part of uh, your thoughts or whatever objective uh, landscape however you want to classify it so if if this is what we are trying to do one thing is for sure that if it feels or not feels we definitely have uh, a lot of anxiety around it i think so as a, as a human species we definitely have a lot of ownership and the moment we are talking about creativity you want to cling on to like oh no, no we are the only i mean there is a lot of i think may, is that because we are also evolving and that's not how we were but we as a human in our lifetime think of like 80 years or 1000 years so the mo- the reason why we have anxiety about our own identity it's because it's very hard to understand that if we are having that genuine experience one thing for sure is true that we it's something like it's it is something to be like me so it's a subjective experience but we have unable to solve the mystery of consciousness hence intelligence so it's just a very it's it's just a unsolvable problem to... yes it's it's a problem that is that is very uh, that is very difficult i i wonder and i i'm not sure if the ego of the human beings uh, would play a role in the in the general 
concept of whether we want to accept the intelligence of a robot. Hmm. I think there are, it's certainly, uh, we can be biased towards one way of thinking and the other. It depends if you're a, if you're a computer scientist who has been evolving a certain kind of robot with certain kind of intelligence, you might have some vested interest in thinking that I'm getting closer to the strong notion of artificial intelligence. And if you're a philosopher who's discussing this idea, you might not be as inclined. The, the important thing is to look at these things subjectively and to see whether the problem that are proposed in order to have that notion of strong uh, creativity or strong artificial intelligence, do they exist or do they not? And it's important to differentiate between the applications of swarm of uh, artificial intelligence and the 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 fundamental philosophical questions around them, because as I said, in terms of the application, there are many interesting breakthroughs which should be cherished and appreciated, but the philosophical questions would remain um, would remain debated if not mm. unanswered yet. There are there are quite heavily debated, but uh, the uh, there should be a distinction for sure between the application and the philosophical question. I think yeah, this is this is this is better. It's more clear. I think what you just said because minimum at minimum, what I think with especially talking to you about these this uh, intelligence that whether an artificial intelligence which would be either just a neural network which has an agency of some sort like a body or, or some sort of an interaction a sense of place in this uh, world on earth whether it is weak or uh, strong intelligence whether it has a subjective experience or not if that intelligence is solving those problems which human intelligence could not figure out and it is somehow you can, you know, that's exactly what the ego is. Maybe you can call it an extension of humanity or just humans were a way towards that representation of intelligence, which exists somehow through these patterns in how like in maths and in universe. If you would know and you can have a philosophical debate whether you know, oh, this is just something which is just mimicking an experience. If a thing is solving those big problems which we cannot solve, it is undeniable through practicality uh, of, of that solution which that thing is presenting. And I think how everyone is um, talking about that about safe AI. I think it does make more sense after this conversation that we should definitely be more serious about safe AI because you can have a philosophical debate about any importance or intelligence or genuine experiences, but if a solution providing intelligence can turn the other way around, not not maliciously, but just how you have coded it, it could be dangerous because it is somehow something powerful. Exactly. So, so that's why there is uh, now in, in recent years the ethics of... Uh the ethics within the area of artificial intelligence has been growing um, quite a bit and different departments are looking at the ethics of AI. And that is partially 
connected to the the bigger questions on whether um, artificial intelligence is intelligent or not, whether it does have the the feeling or not, whether it does have the the consciousness or not, because if these elements exist or they are absent, then that would have an implication in terms of how they are used. So the concept of safe AI is quite an interesting concept, which looks at the practicality of what should be deployed and to what extent and for whom and in what scenario. So it is good to look at the applications and the philosophical sides should be, uh, they are not completely different, but they should be looked at from a different perspective. Okay, okay. So uh, creativity, and that's what, if we are talking about um, strong AI and weak AI, definitely creativity is one of the most uh, important things and indicators of finding out maybe like that how strong experience an AI is having, hence it's creating this kind of an art. I mean, where are we and what are the different types of AI and creativity? Well, uh, in, in terms of the creativity, um, as I as I mentioned before, we have introduced the concept of strong notions of creativity and the weak notion of creativity. And this is something that a lot of the digital artists are either happy or unhappy with, because when you produce something, you are, tr- you are creating an extension of yourself. Either you are an artist and you would try to make yourself immortal by creating a version of yourself which would live on and on after you, or you are using the tools in order to create something that you are not able to do yourself. In general, we have uh, three types of creativity that was uh, proposed by Margaret Bowden, who's a professor at the University of Sussex. And she categorized creativity in three broad categories. The first one is uh, exploratory and transformational creativity, which is focusing on exploration and transformation. And the second one is the generation and evaluation, where you would be generating ideas and then you would filter through the ones that are already existing and then you pass the rest and evaluate the level of creativity that you have. So that is the the generation and the evaluation type. And we have the third type, which is the combinatorial creativity. And in that uh, uh, type of creativity, you are talking about combining pre-existing ideas. So you're not creating the ideas, but you're combining some pre-existing ideas and presenting them in a way that haven't been presented before. So these are the three broad uh, types of creativity. And it's quite interesting talking about the artist. Sometimes they try to do the, um, in quotation, the Turing test for the creativity. Instead of measuring the artificial intelligence, they try to measure creativity, artificial creativity versus creativity by preparing an art piece and then asking people whether this was presented, whether this was created by a machine or by a human. And so people are going through this, uh, going through this process without naming the, the artist or the scientist. There has been an incident where 
um, a, uh, this this individual has created uh, an interesting piece, a very elaborate piece, and then they were showing it to people, and then people were fascinated by by this piece, very interested in how this has this has created this impression in them, and they thought that this was created by a human and they were very attached to that interesting art piece. And then when they realized that it was made by a a machine, they were quite disappointed and they, they, they didn't have the same feeling as if they have realized that the feeling was stripped from that mm. uh, presence, from that experience. So there is a very complex uh, uh, phenomena happening here the dialogue between the viewer and the art piece and the origin of the art piece as well plays a role at least where we stand yeah i mean if it would have been told that this has been recovered from some old painter's store and it would have been maybe increased that of course that our experience which we are having is really genuine but of course if you are at saying that this is something developed by a machine uh, that would definitely challenge our ego because I think there's a notion which humans do think that um, everyone is having a very, very special subjective experience which is very special to them and it cannot be manipulated. And I think uh, one of the examples which you are saying it's about music. I think people do think that music is something very specific to humans. Although what I've heard through mathematicians that there is some uh, piece which I forgot is it's based on C sharp and uh, an, an AI algorithm can actually create a piece of music which is so strong can it can bring you to tears because I think math uh when the formulas are very beautiful i mean it, it solves the equation very beautifully converted into sound evoke certain side of uh, emotions so exactly so so there are uh, active researchers musicians and computer scientists who are working in this and even the um undergraduate computer students are interested in this field i had a student uh, two years ago who was using swarm intelligence in order to compose um, piano pieces. And the the important thing is to understand what is seen as uh, emotionally evoking or emotionally uh, talking to human, to human being. If this can be measured mathematically, then there might be ways to create to create music. Now, again, uh, it's quite debatable whether computers are able to produce masterpieces like the um, various um, interesting musical scores that are created by by famous musicians. That is a that is a question. But clearly, there is a, a financial incentive as well, so that if there are in many uh, well, radio channels or on TV channels, or if there is any gap, instead of paying a musician, you just have a software. You <laughs> run the software, and the software is running the the music for you. So there are so there are various incentive in this field. But talking about the creativity between human creativity and machine creativity, there is a there there is a growing interest in the collaboration between human and machine, where. Uh, the creativity of a human can flourish by interacting with the machine. So the so there will be a dialogue between a human and a machine. Mm. 
And this is something that has been present in various, uh, it has been expressed by various um, artists and scientists, um, one of whom um, uh, was Harold Cohen, who was in an exhibition uh, I have been curate, uh, curating with a colleague at uh, uh, Goldsmiths University of London a few years ago. And he was representing the United Kingdom at Venice uh, Biennale. And in the beginning, his, his, despite the fact that he was an artist, he was fascinated by artificial intelligence and he was moving in the direction of creating a machine that would produce an art. And towards the later stages of his life, he was drawn towards a middle ground, which is the communication between himself as an artist and his machine, his robot. And the concept of the collaboration is, is quite is quite strong. And this is something that is that is growing. And I might have a vested interest because I'm, I'm having a, a special issue journal being uh, published as we speak, which is about computational creativity, automation or collaboration. Ah, so okay. this is a this is a, a living, a very lively uh, topic. I mean, I will include the links which you are saying so that if anyone who's listening, they can just click and see these pictures. And because I've seen some of the drawings which you have in your office. I mean, the first time I saw uh, your uh, face right outside of your room, I thought, oh, is this uh, is it is it misprinted? And then I read uh, maybe second, third time swarm intelligence like, oh, it makes sense. It should be something which you are representing half of your picture is somehow drawn by a sketch and other half is just like a normal picture. I mean, how, how, what is this again, something which we are talking about? So, so basically I've, I've used swarm intelligence and I have fed the swarm, the traces of half of my face, and then I have released them on the canvas and then they have been tracing different points that represents me and they have been leaving their trajectory on that, canvas and in a way creating their understanding of my half okay. so in a way i am half myself and half <laughs> represented by this world so half of you would be immortalized forever exactly. <laughs> brilliant so is this boundary is i mean is this the true representation of uh, being a cyborg i mean this is a term of course it's a very sci-fi term i don't know if there's any other term which we can use but always cyborgs are something which you use as what body parts we would have or what uh, physical machinery would we use to collaborate and solve problems what other uh, parts of our uh, body we can replace we can live longer but I think what you are just saying, I think it looks like that to be a cyborg, which is an expression of transcendence from our human form. I think this seems like a very far and um, advanced uh, f expression than just the physical body parts. Because if we are thinking in realm of creativity and thoughts, which are further away from where our bodies are, and in those realms, machine is collaborating with human imagination. And that is the expression which we are going to be seeing. I think isn't isn't that something very 
like pushing the edge very much towards being a cyborg representation and transcending some sort of an artistic expressions it it might i i, I, I might i might go back to the one of the interesting aspects of um using swarm intelligence or in in, in the realm of creativity one of the interesting aspects of the, the the example that you've given in terms of me being half myself and my other half uh represented by the swarm what is interesting is that every time i uh, let's say unleash the swarms on the canvas they rep- they produce a different representation of me at the same time uh, people who know me they would realize uh, some elements of my feature mm. with the with the work of the swarm so despite the fact that every time they follow a different path they follow a different trajectory they move at different speeds which is determined by their own rule which are mathematically based every time they are producing something different yet they are still loyal to the points that they are provided so it creates a, it creates an interesting an interesting dialogue and some of these concepts can be can be quite uh, we can go to various uh, spectrums we okay. can go to various ends of spectrum and uh, we can be uh, more radical or less less radical but it's clearly something that exists okay this is this is is there any other types of creativity uh, or any other fields where the swarm intelligence and human collaboration has been going on well there are in, in terms of the visual art there have been a lot of work uh, in terms of the visual or representation of images painting um so this is something that is quite an active an active work where you are able to create different representation of what is existing or create a collage of uh, of different uh, items that they exist alone but they haven't been brought together in a way that they are not related to the previous um to the previous elements so there are so there are various work that are happening um mainly on the visual aspects in addition to music that we have talked about please tell me that swarm intelligence is being used and in, in avatar uh swarm intelligence and evolutionary computations have been used in avatar okay indeed <laughs> uh, in a lot of the special effect uh, features they do use evolutionary computation and swarm intelligence this this is um th- this is something that would uh relieve a human artist to deal with parts of the creativity that uh, a machine cannot create mm. so basically again that's that is a form of the collaboration between human and machine where the machines are uh perform certain task that would be otherwise quite uh, laborious if uh, if they were to be done by a human being i think i would have a different understanding now when i'll be watching avatar when i'm uh, seeing creativity not only from the perspective of okay james cameron and other animation artists have made it actually it's been made by a certain artificial intelligence or swarm intelligence this this would actually for me create a deeper understanding and it, as you are saying it would evoke different conversation and feelings towards this art now well it, it's it's also quite interesting at the fundamental level when we when we go to the nature when we see the when we see the birds flocking 
we can we can imagine that there are some uh, crazy scientists sitting somewhere trying to understand <laughs> how they work and apply it to a problem. Or when we look at the ants, when we look at the fish schooling, when we see some documentaries on on animals and and uh, um, social social animals and social insects, there are all fascinating uh, form in our nature. This is always, I mean, I think the reason why it looks so beautiful now after talking to you, if they are following a very smooth and simple but complex algorithm, of course we are pattern recognition machines somehow. And that is how some of our body has been designed and our subjective uh, perception of beauty must be based loosely or I don't know how hard it is on those mathematical formula. So once we, we don't see the formula actually happening, but we see the physical representation, which is based on this algorithm. So of course it must feel, I think mo- everyone feels, well, that might be a overstatement. Maybe some people might find it really ugly, but uh, most of these things seems really beautiful. Uh, and maybe that might be the reason because they are actually following that uh, algorithm, which is part of us too. Perhaps, perhaps. Yes, as, 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 and as you said, it's, it, it could be a quite, a, quite a subjective um, perception. But again, talking of the, the, the beauty of the swarm, one of the, one of the beautiful characteristic of the of the swarm both visually and also at their fundamental behavior is that each element of the each member of the swarm is following a very simple set of rules so they do not follow a very complex set of rules they are very simple they follow a very bare bones minimalistic set of rules and the the beauty happens when they are communicating with one another. That's why we call it the emergence of intelligence. We don't see the intelligence per se, the, the, the one that we are creating, we are the, the inspiration that we are getting from the nature. One element does not have necessarily a, a, a strong set of rules, but when they are put together, we can see that uh, some interesting phenomena happens that wouldn't have happened otherwise with uh, one or two members. Yeah. Yeah, that's... So I remember um, uh, one of the stories you mentioned, and uh, it's about the elephant. Uh, I'm not sure if, if it's a... Is, it, is, is the story um, coming from uh, eastern side of the world? Because, yes. Because my, I've, I've heard the story from my grandfather. Uh, so, so that was interesting that you used... Uh, that story. So it would be fascinating if you can please tell us what stories and how have you related to swarm intelligence or AI? Well, it's quite an interesting uh, verse actually by John Godfrey Sachs from the 19th century. And it's about the the blind man and the elephant. And basically what he's saying is that there are uh, six blind men who are approaching an elephant. One would approach the elephant's side thinking that it's a wall the other one would approach the the tusk thinking that it's a spear the third one approaches the trunk thinking it's a snake the fourth one approaches the leg and um, thinks it's a tree the fifth one gets to the ear thinking it's a fan and the sixth one gets to the tail 
thinking it's a rope. Mm. Now, what is interesting about this is that uh, each one of these representation, which are formed by the individual belief, is something that is derived from the individual experience. So basically what we're trying to say is that people build their belief framework based on a partial evidence which is derived from incomplete knowledge about the world. This is what we have. So we have this partial knowledge because we look at things from a certain way and with a limited perspective. Now, if we put all our knowledge together, if these men put their knowledge together, then they might realize that it's an elephant. But if you take the smaller pictures, you might have a different picture. It's a partial picture. Sometimes it's, it's partially correct. Sometimes it's partially wrong. But what is what is interesting is that combining these um, elements and this knowledge and this observation together, then we will have something that is more representative of the reality. Or at least that's what we think. Yeah. <laughs> and and these uh, swarm intelligence and algorithms would be able to help us to bridge our gap for that partial understandings which we have. We, we would, it is safe to say that we have partial understanding of uh, universe, partial understanding of our own self and partial understanding of what is going on and how to solve it. Exactly. We have to, to, to uh, uh, narrow down the, um, the focus and not to claim that artif artificial intelligence is the, is the recipe <laughs> to solve all the problems in the world. We do have a partial understanding, going back to the questions of the, to the metaphor of the sliders, we have a partial understanding of the behavior of the sliders. We don't have a global understanding of all the combinations. So this is the point where we are getting the swarms so that they would be exploring different elements, different areas, and they communicate in order to find the what we call the sweet spot in order to get as close as possible to the optimal solution. Brilliant. Okay. Is there anything you'd like to add about um, applications or any research paper or any event? Uh, well... I cannot add the research papers here. I try to. <laughs> I, I already tried to explain one of my um, research work, or, or I should say, one of our uh, research work, uh, with some PhD students and some colleagues. And I think I'm gonna stop okay. talking so that I would reduce the use of any technical terms. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Thanks, Mohammed. Thank you so much for doing it. I mean, this is, as I said, it's one of my very close to heart topic. So thanks a lot for illuminating all about it. Thank, Thank you, you for having me.